The deadline for WARC Awards for Effectiveness 2024 is fast approaching. You have until 6 February to enter your campaigns for our celebration of strategic brilliance and effective impact. With 12 categories and five new regions, this is our biggest award show yet. And the great news is that you just need to enter once for the chance to win in your region and be in line for the Global Grand Prix announced during Can Lions Week. I'm Rika Facundo, WARC's APAC editor, and I'm here to encourage you to head straight to WARC.com and submit your entry by the final deadline of February 6. This is your chance to win a Global WARC Grand Prix and truly claim your campaign is one of the most effective in the world. The WARC Awards 2024, Strategic Brilliance, Effective Impact. It's the award show you've been waiting for. Hello and welcome to the Warp Podcast. My name is David Tiltman and this week we've been summarising some of the biggest talking points in marketing effectiveness over the past year. And in today's episode, the final instalment of the series, we're looking at the year in digital commerce and retail media. We'll be talking about some of the trends and ideas that have shaped uh, this space over the last 12 months, including the explosive growth of retail media spend, the impact that's having on marketing structures, and what we're starting to see in social commerce. Now, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Gregory Grudzinski, uh, who leads our reports for our Walk Digital Commerce service. Now, Gregory, before we get into the details, I mean, this has been so much going on in this space this year, but what's what's been your sort of overall view of uh, of the year in digital commerce and retail media? Thanks, David. I think 2023 has just seen a lot of growth. It's seen a lot of innovation. So I think a lot of the things that we're seeing this year, we're going to be following into the years to come. So I think we're, we're kind of setting the stage for 2024 to be particularly interesting. Uh, you mentioned you know the explosive growth of retail media. That has changed so many things throughout the digital commerce space that we're just starting to kind of connect the dots and look for efficiencies. So I think it's 2023 is going to go down as the, the year where a lot of the foundations were laid for the growth that I think we're going to see in the years to come in digital commerce. Great. Thank you. So as with these other podcasts uh, in this series, what I've asked you all to do is to bring three sort of big talking points from the year or things you want to highlight. Let's get straight into it. What, what have you got first? Retail media. Uh, we couldn't start anywhere else other than retail media. That's the big deal. Uh, you know, it started a few years back. When Amazon revealed that there was $31 billion worth of uh, earnings uh, from their retail media business, and that started the gold rush. And you know, to this day, we're still seeing a number of retailers, a number of brands scramble to figure out, you know, how do we take advantage of this, of this, this new channel of advertising? Let's, let's just get the latest numbers because that 31 billion was, was uh, uh, a couple of years ago. And the numbers are staggering now, aren't they? I mean, even if we're just looking at the the sort of US, the actual the actual numbers we're talking about in terms of the uh, money going into retail media is colossal. Yeah, well, right now, looking at global retail media investment is forecasted to reach 128 billion in 2023, and they're expecting a 10 percent year on year growth to 141 billion next year, which by any standard is just just absolutely incredible growth. Yeah, and the stat that really blows my mind here is that by the end of next year, Amazon's ad business, so this is like the side hustle of Amazon, 
will be, I mean, it'll be north of $50 billion, you know, approaching $60 billion. Uh, it will be bigger than the global outdoor industry. And it will be bigger than the entire industry we used to call publishing, which is like, you know, newspapers and, and magazines. Uh, just, I mean, it's in, incredible. The, the way, the way you know, not just Amazon, but, but a lot of these sort of um, emerging uh, retail or merchant media, as it's often called, it's just sort of upending the the sort of media landscape. Amazon's going to continue to lead what goes on in retail media, in my estimation. Amazon is out in front with, you know, working with uh, clean rooms and data collaboration. Amazon is working out front with driving non-endemic advertising. There, there's just so many facets of the retail media business that Amazon is in a position to take control of. So I think a lot of the innovation is going to start there and then kind of cascade down through some of the other sites. But you're right, the, the scope and scale of Amazon's retail media business is nothing less than astonishing. And the other players in in the US specifically, I mean, they're, they're having good years as well. So Walmart and, uh, uh, and Target and Kroger and Instacart, uh, how are those? How are those sort of platforms looking? Yeah, Amazon is is certainly leading the way, but others are doing very well in this space. Uh, for instance, Kroger is doing making great strides with integrating online and offline data to provide brands with a real integrated closed loop approach to you know to speaking to customers and and uh, bringing new customers into the fold, finding those new users. Uh, Walmart was at Cannes this year talking about, you know, its omnichannel business. So this, uh, what's the saying? The rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, retail media is certainly a, a rising tide in the space. Yeah, I think you just touched on one of the things that's become quite interesting this year is, is the way the space is broadening. So um, if I look at, you know, we, we talked a year ago about Amazon going sort of up the funnel and, and uh, you know, trying to layer on things like video and other other sort of formats that, that you might think of as like upper funnel. So they, they had a full funnel platform. I think over the past year, we've seen a number of moves by uh, some of the other players in the space to to broaden their inventory. Uh, part, you know, that partly by accessing... Um, offline channels so in store and and you know and, and and sort of having a sort of integrated offer from online through to online within their own uh ecosystem but also by doing partnerships with other players particularly in the sort of digital media space so i know we've seen some of the platforms tie up with some of the social networks and and recently amazon itself uh, partnered with facebook didn't it so there's quite a lot going on in that space that feels like a real growth area yeah, I, I, I think it absolutely is. You know, we've seen uh, Walmart's working on a, a, a program with Roku. Kroger is, is doing some work with Pandora. Uh, you know, the idea for these networks to be able to grow, for them to be able to scale, is they, they need to find ways to reach out to people outside of their platform. And we'll be talking a little bit about that you know, later on when we talk about uh, social commerce. But yeah, that's, a, that's a, a big driver. We're seeing all of these interesting partnerships arise. Um, and it's, it's just a matter of the only way that they can make these systems scalable is to kind of go beyond the properties that they, that they have. And if you push that logic, if you push that logic to its ultimate, uh, sort of end point, we've started to see people think of retail media, not as a set of platforms, but as, as a data layer that you, you can buy against sort of anywhere on the internet where, where, where there's these sort of networks have, have expanded. So 
Uh, you know, and you think about the power of overlaying retail data with with connected TV. I mean, it it, it could be huge. Uh, I mean, we've said that before in digital marketing and, and being disappointed, but the logic goes to some very exciting places, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing these partnerships that are kind of pushing things in all different directions that, that we hadn't anticipated. At least I hadn't anticipated. For instance, you know, Amazon has a partnership uh, doing uh, football on Thursday nights here in the United States. And, you know, it's interesting to think this is just kind of a brand play for Amazon to try and, you know, grab awareness. I think they're also using it to drive their prime membership, which is a key part of their business. But there's, there's, you know, who would have thought five years ago that Amazon's going to be sponsoring Thursday night football? Who would have thought there even going to be a Thursday night football? So it's, it's interesting to see how these partnerships develop. I find that... Um sort of content play by Amazon fascinating because I guess in the old days you would think of media as being you know a media operator would have rights to football which they would then distribute and sell advertising against now you've got a commerce player building an ad platform around their commerce business and then using content to, to fill the funnel so it just uh, say what we actually mean by media these days is uh is transforming um let's get get into a few specifics so um let's look a little bit about growth areas in in 2024 where where do you see sort of some some interesting trends we should look out for as we go into next year well, I think right now uh, retail media has kind of been synonymous with uh, you know using search terms, bidding on search terms, uh, and getting your ads adjacent to uh, product display or brand display ads on websites. I think we're going to go beyond that. I think we've demonstrated that that works. I think we can expect to see uh, there's going to be an increased use of video. I've seen data that suggests that uh, video was one of the lowest KPIs used this year for measuring the effectiveness of retail media. I think that's going to change in a big way. I think video has a way of engaging people. I think more and more companies are understanding what they need to be able to do to, to kind of make an interactive pitch to differentiate themselves from competitive brands. So I expect to see a lot more video. Uh, I expect to see uh, more of a programmatic approach to being able to buying retail media across networks. You know, one of the challenges right now is that you have to buy individually from specific retailers. Um, you know, Walmart does offer national reach. If the Kroger Albertsons merger goes through, that's going to offer significant reach as well. But it's still there's not an easy way for brands to be able to purchase across multiple networks. So I, I think we're going to see that change. I think we're going to see a growth of non-endemic advertising. Just just explain what that means to to those not in the sector. What's a non-endemic advertiser in this space? A non-endemic advertiser would be an advertiser who's promoting a product that's not sold on Amazon. So it could be like a car brand selling exactly. advertising. Yeah. Exactly. Because everybody, you know, many of people own cars, they're shopping on Amazon, they're just not buying them on Amazon. So Amazon functions as a media. Um, you know, maybe an example that's closer to the CPG space might be somebody who is uh, you know, browsing for recipes for Italian food might be targeted as somebody who'd be interested in seeing an ad for you know, foreign travel to go see the tourist sites of Italy or something like that. So I, I think there's a huge space there. Like, you've, like you mentioned earlier, the, the definition of media has evolved greatly. And I think retail media is gonna, is, is gonna provide that kind of profit incentive for brands and for retail platforms to figure out, you know, 
how innovative can we get to really take advantage of this format? Now, this has sort of implications for the way we plan and the way we measure well, whatever it is we call media these days. Talk to me a little bit about the way you see measurement evolving in this space. In, in a report that Work had done, The Future of Measurement, uh, James Herman makes the point that he was concerned that the ease of measuring the performance media is, is so much surpasses the ease with measuring uh, awareness or brand building media that there was a concern that we might tip our measurement towards what's easier to measure. Um, right now, it's a bit of a challenge. You know, when we look at some of the, the just the structural challenges as far as, you know, what are the look back windows that retailers are providing to be able to help brands measure, you know, who, who's a current customer, who's a new user? How do we track customers who might have gone from one platform to another? Is that truly a new user for the brand or is that just a, just a shopper that we had picked up from, you know, a competitive retailer? I think in time, there'll be a way to figure this out. I think the clean rooms and the, the data rooms that uh, Amazon's working on and that we're seeing with other retailers as well are a huge step in that direction. Uh, but we're not quite there yet, but I think that's the direction that it's heading. This is really about uh, not repeating the same mistakes we made with search and with a lot of digital marketing where um, we over-relied on attribution models, particularly last-click attribution. We completely missed the impact of brand strength as customers came into digital platforms and digital spaces. And so we ended up optimizing for uh, for things that were powerful in the short term, but didn't necessarily help us uh, build sort of long-term sustainable businesses. So I think that's definitely one thing. And I think James uh, did some work with us on a report called uh, Growth Efficiency, which looked at the way brand strength played out uh, in terms of Amazon sales and found that actually brands with higher awareness uh, based on data from a company called Tracksuit uh, tended to outperform brands with lower awareness as companies started to spend more money on the platform. It, 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 essentially, your growth within a platform like Amazon was much more efficient if you already had a strong brand to start with. Um, we can probably hear a bit from James talking about that now. As we all know, marketing has become pretty obsessed with efficiency and optimization, and many marketing organizations use short-term ROI or return on ad spend as the main metric of their advertising effectiveness. And we've become highly adept at experimenting and optimizing for cost per metrics, like cost per click, cost per acquisition, those sorts of things. But a recurring pattern that we see is marketers optimizing, becoming very efficient, but then struggling to scale their spend up while maintaining that efficiency. I, I think another point that uh, is critical about measurement is this standardization of metrics uh, that still has yet to be resolved. Um, I think that it, originally there was some indication that this was going to be something that was driven by the brands. But from what I'm seeing, this is a, this is a retail driven, uh, item. Uh, and the reason being, it would be akin to, you know, if you're trying to buy a car and every model had a different miles per gallon and a different size and was rated on a different set of standards, it would be impossible to compare apples to apples. So I, I think for retailers to try and remove the friction, from the process of engaging in retail media networks, they need to come to some sort of a, of a basic standardization to just simplify the process for brands. 
Okay, so Gregory, what's the second sort of big talking point uh, you brought with you from the year in digital commerce? David, the second big talking point is organizational readiness. How companies are are uh, are evolving to take advantage of of digital commerce. Yeah, no, we've we've done a few things on this through the year, haven't we? And uh, I think sort of the starting point for me, which is really interesting, is and going back to the conversation we've just had around retail media, is where does this sit is it a sales function is it a marketing function is it is it media or is it sales support i mean it it does sort of start to create gray areas and spaces where uh you know which interrupts the sort of standard silos of a of a big organization and and i think that's that's was our sort of starting point in looking at this wasn't it in, in that it it really um, it challenges us to think differently about uh, about marketing, media, and sales. Yeah, I think it's from the from the the research that we've done, it looks like this role belongs somewhere between sales and marketing. And then, depending on who you're talking to, uh, there's a school of thought that says this is best owned by sales because sales has probably the closest relationship with the individual retailers. Sales are are more attuned to what you know, the competitive dynamics are in a given, uh, in a given category. So they're just well suited to try and understand how do we kind of roll out this new, this new technology? How do we leverage this retail media, uh, and the power that it, uh, that it can generate most effectively. The other school of thought says, well, marketing should be doing that because there's, there's, it's the, the performance opportunities within retail media are pretty straightforward. Um, it's in some ways it's, it's just an ad media, but when we start looking at how retail media can be used to build upper funnel, uh, growth, that becomes something that requires more of a strategic view that's best handled by marketers who would be more adept with that. And, you know, there's also some thought to saying, you know, the marketers might be more adept at dealing with the, you know, the complexity of how to, how to mine that upper funnel to translate that into brand awareness. Um, and then I think a lot of it depends on, you know, what platform you happen to be on, what category you happen to be in, uh, you know, the nature of, you know, the relationships that you have with retailers. You know, if, uh, if Walmart is your, your number one, uh, partner, your number one seller of your product, um, then whatever structure you adopt has to be Walmart friendly or else it would be a, a, a huge mistake. If your business is more evenly distributed across retailers, then maybe you have a little bit more latitude or you want to go with a structure that gives you more flexibility. Mm, it's really interesting. And there is a sense at, at times that retail media uh, is so bound up with the relationship between the retailer and the supplier that that it's effectively a cost of doing business through through one of those retailers. So again, it's it sort of blurs what we think of as sales, trade marketing, media spend, um, I mean, you know, it, yeah, it's a definition question for sure. But let's talk about how companies are actually trying to pick their way through this. So, what are what, what are the current challenges that you identified in doing the research through through this year? Well, I mean, one of the challenges is what we what we just discussed. How do we adapt the the current teams that we have to most efficiently uh, take advantage of the opportunity that retail media offers? Um, so that's point one. Point two is as your organization grows, who are we looking to to staff our organization with? What talent is it that we want to we want to bring in the door? You know, the whole discussion between sales and marketing is predicated on the fact that those are existing teams, and we want to put the you know the institutional knowledge that we have 
to the best use. So where do we where do we go with the internal teams we have? But for the for the recruiting, that becomes a little bit more of a challenge. Um, you know, first of all, retail media is relatively new, so there's not people out there who have ten years of experience with retail media. Uh, you know, one of the other challenges is the the skills that it takes to you know to win in retail media are going to be someone who's probably more of a um, say intellectually curious, uh, somebody who's willing to to try some new things, someone who's you know not afraid to take some some intelligent bets, uh, and you know it's very difficult for someone in HR to look at a resume and see if an individual candidate has those qualities or not. So I think one of the challenges is who are the you know who are the people we recruit. Uh, one of the factors that uh, a couple of uh, brands that we had spoken with had mentioned that their best bet is to find somebody who's already doing what they need them to do and then just bring them on board. So we still haven't figured out exactly what are the skills that we need aside from saying, you know, this person is, is successful in this role in brand X. So we should expect similar success if we bring him into our company, which is a, not necessarily a scalable approach, but it's a good approach for the short term for a lot of companies. Now, we talked in one of the reports we released about centers of excellence. Let's let's just get into that a little bit, because that seemed to be something that a lot of the leading uh, brands in this space were, were looking to adopt. Yeah, the idea of the center of excellence is, um, and again, there's, there's proponents and detractors for this. In fact, we've got a good quote from Lauren Levac with from the uh, Digital Shelf Institute that I think does a nice job of kind of summarizing the strengths of the center of excellence. So let's let's give that a listen. I want to emphasize when we talk about org models, there is no right answer. Every company has a different approach, but there's different themes and different elements that I would say are critical and are important to be successful in having the right organizational model. One of those being educating your organization every function from start to finish why it's important to be a part of the digital shelf process and, and how their job affects it. And when you think about the center of excellence, that was created because there was no knowledge around digital. When you think about the democratization of e-commerce, that means it's going back into the business, which means that the center of excellence can be dissolved. They created a COE model to really ingrain digital into the business and make sure those capabilities were understood across sales, marketing, shopper marketing, supply chain. And then once they did their job, they dissolved and they went back into the business. So I think Lauren does a nice job of, of explaining the nuances of what it takes to have an effective center of excellence. Um, of course, the other side of the coin is that creating a center of excellence is basically adding a new layer of infrastructure to your organization which, if anything, stands the risk of slowing down the, the decision-making process that you need to accelerate in order to win in the digital space. So it's, it's a little bit of a, of a contradiction to say, you know, we want to learn to be able to respond, you know, at digital speed. So we're going to add a dozen or so people to our staff who are going to be experts. I, I think the advantage of the Center of Excellence, as Lauren had mentioned, is that you get people who are experts and they can help you know, evangelize the reason everybody should be following digital, the reason everybody's job is involved with digital. But the, the other side of it is there needs to be a point where the center of excellence goes away. There needs to be a point where 
you know, the center of excellence has done its job. It's, it's lived out its charter, whether that's, you know, 18 months or 36 months, you know, to train the team and learn what they need to learn and then disappears. People go back to their jobs and that just becomes the new normal. I think the, you know, the, the big concern is that if the center of excellence isn't executed properly, you end up with a group of people that are basically training the teams on best practices, but they're not necessarily training them and, you know, what they need to do to roll up their sleeves and, you know, move the needle sales wise, you know, what they need to do to be able to really dig into these relationships with retailers and understand where the opportunities and, you know, creatively explore options to, you know, to make this, this retail media just live to its full potential. Yeah. I gotta say this, this gives me deja vu. I think we're having exactly the same conversations when, when sort of digital marketing first came along and we saw brands create centers of excellence then. And you're, you're right. It's, it's not just about outsourcing it to one, uh, one department. It was about how those, those teams could, uh, could drive cultural transformation within the within the parent business and some some companies managed it and and many didn't um let's talk about some of the characteristics of those companies that seem to be doing well what what did what did you find when you were doing the research well some of the characteristics of the winning companies we found were uh one they understand that there's a there's a fundamental distortion in the way assets are allocated towards digital commerce typically. And that, that distortion comes from the fact that digital commerce is only a small fraction of their current sales. So for a lot of models that are in place where we're looking at, you know, what do we invest in headcount? What do we invest in, in advertising? What do we invest in product development? If they're following where the revenue is coming from, they're going to underfund the digital efforts. You know, for instance, you've got a product development team that needs to understand digital because if, if they create a product that can't be safely shipped via Amazon, if it contains a, a battery or some sort of chemical that, that Amazon refuses to ship, then any product design that they do around that is for naught, right? If they create a product that's too heavy to be profitably shipped or, you know, can't be packed safely, anything that they do is for naught. You know, the, the people in finance, the people in accounting need to understand that we to some extent have to subsidize our our digital experimentation to figure out what works and you know position ourselves for the future we can't just kind of go as we have in the past which is to you know spend money where we know it's going to make the most for us in the short term so you know those are just some of the uh, those are just some of the things that that companies have figured out that seems to distinguish the companies that are moving ahead in the space versus those that are you know still trying to figure it out or or those who are barely getting started so gregory what's the third and final talking point you want to go through david our third and final talking point is social commerce uh this is an interesting space isn't it because you've you've kind of got two things happening you've got uh you've got some of the um established retail media and commerce platforms and then you've got social and entertainment platforms like TikTok moving out towards commerce. So let's take the first of those, um, retail media moving out uh, towards social. What have we seen here? Well, I think what you're seeing is uh, platforms like Amazon that 
need, you know, once they've achieved a certain level of, of near saturation in order for them to continue to grow their business, they, they've got to find other, uh, other ad venues. So I think a perfect example of this is the partnership that we saw with uh, Amazon and Facebook this year. Um, you know, the fact that we're, we're providing uh, Facebook with information, with profiles that they can use to uh, improve their ad targeting. And in return, those shoppers are able to kind of seamlessly click back through to, to Amazon. Uh, it's a win-win. So Facebook gets the advertising dollars. Amazon gets the, the increased sales. And for the brands, it's not only an opportunity to, you know, to get increased visibility for their brands. You know, one of the things that Amazon often struggles with, all right, put it this way. One of the things that brands struggle with on Amazon is discoverability. It's such a crowded marketplace that it's, it's, it's difficult to get attention for new products. Uh, partnering with some of these social commerce platforms gives them an opportunity to get much easier visibility. Uh, it also allows them, and this is a point I think gets missed too often. It also allows these brands to get their products, you know, directly in the hands of consumers without having to go through the search grid on Amazon, right? Someone's not searching for a product and have 25 competing brands alongside of it. You see a product you like on Facebook, you click the next thing you're on the product detail page, and then you complete the transaction. So I, I think you're going to see more of this simply because it's such a beneficial arrangement for all the parties involved. And we spoke to uh, Colin Lewis, who's a, a longtime friend of the Walk podcast and a, and a real expert on retail media. We He was in Cannes, and we talked to him a little bit about this um, uh, as, as part of our Cannes wrap-up. So, so I think we can hear that now. A given retail media network, on-site can deliver only so much inventory. So if we take, say, um, somebody has done a sponsored search on a, a grocery or, or indeed any other form of retailer's website, the number of facing ads that can be delivered is not going to be like, say, Amazon, where they can get away with a very high, what's called ad load. The ad load cannot affect the potential for customer conversion. So therefore, the ad load will always be lower. Therefore, the inventory will be lower. So how do you create a business that's scalable? Well, it's actually by having um, inventory that's offsite. And that inventory offsite has to deliver, um, will have to deliver for brands. And obviously, the brands that many of these retailers are working with are some of the most sophisticated brands in the world, the Unilevers and the, um, and the Procter & Gamble's of this world. So they need to have much more creative ad units available. Okay, so that's the 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 retail media platforms moving out. Let's talk about the people coming the other way. So let's let's talk TikTok because um, they obviously have a large commerce business in China. They have been trying over the years to introduce commerce into uh, into its offering in other parts of the world. Um, they've had a few false starts, but but you know they seem to be uh, they seem to be pushing ahead with it. So what's going on here? TikTok is certainly the big story in 2023. Uh, despite the slowing global digital ad market, uh, they've earned $15 billion in revenue in 2023 alone, up 50% year on year. They've got tremendous popularity, especially with younger audiences. Yeah, and it was really interesting in the recent marketers toolkit reports and all the survey we did around that. TikTok, again, predicted to be one of the bigger winners for next year uh, by marketers, lots of marketers. I'm expecting to spend more on the platform. Um, now, I, I think what's interesting here, not just the advertising investment, it's the it's the link through to commerce. And 
what's what's the story here? What what's been happening in that space? Well, I, I think one of the, the the things worth noting is you know originally when social commerce became a thing, a lot of the brands uh, were eager to explore it, and one of the, the the early learnings of this is that I think social commerce in the Western uh, market is going to be very different than what social commerce looked like in the uh, uh, in the Asian markets where it originated. Uh, in the Asian markets, I understand that word of mouth was a was a, a typical way for people to uh, share information about products. I don't think that that's going to be exactly the same way it unfolds here in the West. Uh, I think that it's going to be more of a platform where we're going to see, uh, you know, branded communications, marketing communications that are going to be promoting products on it. Uh, and you know, there is a social factor because it's it exists on TikTok, which is a social site. It exists on Facebook. It's a social site. But I think social commerce is largely going to have just a different playbook for what works in in the the U.S. versus what happened in the in the Asian countries where it originated. Yeah, that's right. We we were talking for a while about you know would live streaming take off in in the U.S. in the same way and and you know clearly uh, it it hasn't to date. Um, but TikTok's not giving up. Uh, I mean, there was an interesting story back in. August that it was proposing banning links to other e-commerce websites uh, from within TikTok it, it, to try and get people to stay within its ecosystem. Um, so I think that's a that's an interesting space, uh, and I guess this is one to watch, isn't it? Like this is this feel this isn't at the scale of an Amazon yet, but um, it feels like it's an interesting space to watch. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how TikTok kind of weathers the. Uh, uh, the growth pains, as well as some of the headwinds that it's got in this country, uh, you know, from a political point of view, due to some of its uh, corporate affiliations. But it's definitely going to be a, a, a space to watch in 2024. Now, a final thing we talk about social commerce. A final thing we should talk about briefly is commerce players, uh, Shein, Timu, spending a lot of money in the U.S. in particular uh, via social media. So. Um, this is this, I guess, a, a different model again. But um, this has become quite a, a big deal now, as these these companies face a sort of slowing Chinese market. With Timu in particular, spending a lot of money, aren't they? Yeah, it is, and I think this links back to what we were saying moments ago about you know the difference between you know the Asian approach to it and the Western approach to it. You know, these sites have been investing crazily in uh, in Facebook. I think Timu has. Uh, more than 8,000 ads in the month of August alone on Facebook. Uh, and if you look at the the level of spend there, it's incredible. So yeah, they're looking to offset a softness in the Asian business coming to US. And you know, if we look at some of the unique visitors, uh, I think Timu has surpassed the number of unique visitors per month. They've already surpassed Target and they're approaching Walmart, which the speed with which they've been able to attain this scale is is absolutely astonishing. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes from here. So just a few stats on Timu because it, it it is fascinating. So Timu spent three hundred million dollars launching its brand in the U.S. in the first nine months of twenty twenty three. It had six point nine million monthly active users in the U.S. in January of this year. By September, that total had reached twenty three point two million according to data.ai. So some phenomenal numbers uh, that that platform in particular had posted. Um, and I think we shouldn't underestimate just how important 
this money is for the, the social platforms. So, uh, so if we just look at Meta, uh, APAC-based brands spent 25% more on advertising on their platforms in the first nine months of 2023 than they did in the previous uh, previous year, same period the previous year. So the the growth uh, in Meta's ad business is definitely in part being driven by this influx of money from uh, overseas brands and in particular overseas commerce platforms. Yeah, as we as we said at the top of this um, at the top of this podcast, twenty twenty three seen a lot of in- innovation, and in this space, I think we're going to continue to see even even more innovation. There's going to be a lot of interesting stuff going on, looking at what's happening both in the U.S. and globally. So uh, this will certainly be an area that I think is going to be prominent on everybody's radar for 2024. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for uh, for today and indeed for this week's uh, week of review. So I hope you enjoyed the four podcasts. The idea was that if you only listen to those four podcasts, you've got a pretty good idea of all the stuff that's going on across the world of marketing effectiveness. And of course, if you like what you have heard, then please do subscribe to the Walk podcast on your podcasting platform of choice. And if you really like what you heard, then leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for listening.